0: My guest today is Professor Dale Rogers, who is a professor of business at Arizona State University. He is also the director of the Frontier Economies Logistics Lab and the co-director of the Internet Edge Supply Chain Lab at ASU. Dale is a leading researcher in the fields of reverse logistics, sustainable supply chain management, supply chain finance, and secondary markets. Welcome, Dale.
1: Nice to be with you.
0: Uh, I want to start with um, the Logistics Managers Index, LMI, that you manage along with a number of colleagues in different universities. Uh, I guess it's a combination metric based on responses of managers on various aspects of logistics, (laughs) uh, such as inventory, warehousing, and transportation. Could you describe what, what data goes into it and how it is calculated?
1: Yes. So the Logistics Managers Index, it's um, um, it's it's uh, five universities. It's um, it's it's one old guy, me, with uh, a bunch of um, of younger faculty. And they uh, do all
0: the work, I suppose. They
1: do a lot. They do a lot of the work. I do a little bit, but that's true. They do. They do a lot and and really good researchers and most of them you know have either been phd students of mine or um i've been i hired them or um, a mentor in some way and and one of them the 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 young professor who works on this dr zach rogers from colorado state and he does a lot of the management of the actual survey and and so on he he actually um uh in addition to be um, a young assistant professor of supply chain He's also my son, so yeah. so, and and the other guys uh, aren't my son, but sort of like being my son. So <laughs> so, we've got Colorado State, um, Rochester Institute of Technology, mm-hmm. uh, Stephen oh. Carnavale, uh, Rutgers University, Dr. Shen Yeniert, uh, who I hired for his first academic job a long time ago, and um, and Ron Limkey, uh, who. Uh, I used to work at University of Nevada Reno, and Ron's still there. And I hired him back in the early '90s, I think. So, so a bunch of my old um, my old friends and and we were thinking, you know, GDP, gross domestic product, is a terrible measure of the economy. It's just a really bad measure. How come? Well, it tells you what happened. It doesn't tell you what's gonna happen. And it tells you in the most micro way. Yeah. So GDP only measures from the last stop to the consumer. That's the only measurement. And you don't see all of that upstream activity in the supply chain that, that actually can be a early warning system, um, uh, both for good things and, and bad things. And we thought for a long time that uh, the logistics components, uh, if you measured them, would, would be very helpful in understanding both what is happening throughout the whole economy, because it touches on the entire economy, not just the last step on its way to the consumer. And, and also, um, it, it, it tells you what's likely to happen because there's a ripple effect as things move through the supply chain. We're clearly seeing that happen now as, you know, you just think about the the PPE and 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 the ventilators and all those supplies that you need in the testing equipment, testing supplies um, for we're in the middle of COVID-19 and and, um, and you can really see that it would have been nice to have an early warning system so that you knew a couple of months ago yeah. what was gonna happen You know, two months later. And so the Logistics Managers Index is designed really to, to track activity and logistics components, um, uh, transportation, warehousing, and inventory. Yeah. And and what we do is we ask people, it's real easy to take because we know people are busy and they're not going to take something that's long. So we ask them, um, I mean, it literally takes less than five minutes. We ask them, you know, for instance, transportation prices, uh, did transportation capacity, did transportation utilization, did those things go up, down or stay the same? And then we mm-hmm. assign a number weight to each answer. So if, if they said it's going up, we give that a hundred. If it's going down, we give it a zero. And if it's staying the same, we give it a 50. Mm-hmm. And then we average those together and anything over for each component over 50 means that the sort of the crowd, the majority thinks that there's increases there. And it's been really interesting We've been doing this for the past four years, and and you can really see what's uh, what's likely to happen, and you don't just see it at the last minute, as it's at the consumer, but you also see it upstream, and and really something the last couple of years, well, last year and a half, uh, and and you can really see this before COVID. We were able to see, you know, everybody said we had such a great economy. And the consumer economy for the last couple of years has been really hot. Mm -hmm. But upstream, we were starting to see, you know, um, a degradation in in the economy, in the upstream economy before you got to sort of the retail sector. And if you think about it, you know, look at, say, for example, what happened to to FedEx during 2019. So they missed their earnings in both – the third quarter that that ended in late September and the fourth quarter that ended in in late December. And how come was that? Well, it was because they were seeing a decline in the business to business, that upstream stuff that uh, you didn't pick up if you were only looking at GDP and the consumer. So everybody thought, well, GDP is so hot, but really we were starting to see changes in the upstream part of the economy.
0: So, so to uh, look at it a bit more detail, Dale, so there are three components, right? Transportation and warehousing. And under the transportation warehousing, you look at capacity, you look at utilization and pricing, and then uh, inventory. Uh, again, how much uh, inventory in the system and pricing, uh, of, of pricing or cost of inventory. Um, so there are there are multiple factors, and some of them are inversely related, right? Capacity and utilization, perhaps, uh, or capacity and pricing. So how do you combine all of these different factors into a singular index?
1: Well, we 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 make it so they're moving together. So we don't. We I, the, you're absolutely right. Some of them are generally inverse relationships, although some things that we've seen. Um, uh, have been surprising month to month where where things that would normally be an inverse relationship or not so hmm. but we we keep things that are going to be going the opposite way we sort of flip that around when we're developing the, the the overall LMI truthfully so we're we're pretty careful about about that because um uh you know transportation capacity um and transportation utilization are are likely to move inversely and like for instance for june transportation capacity actually went down although it's really right at the you know if you round it off 49.56 it really is 50 so it really was unchanged mm-hmm. but transportation utilization and transportation prices um actually uh moved up quite a bit so so it, it, it's interesting and, and honestly, what we found so far is that the, the wisdom of the crowd is pretty wise. They, they don't they don't lie.
0: <laughs> yeah. So so how many companies are involved, typically?
1: <clears throat> um, uh, between 100 and 200. So, okay. you know, statistically, it's not a good sample if it's under 100. So we're always over 100. So it's between 100 and 200.
0: And are they all the same uh, for? No,
1: absolutely not. We deliberately don't. We deliberately uh, like a mix and we can pull different components out. Um, like, for example, uh, a, a, a carrier a, a truck may have a very different perception than an ocean carrier or a 3PL or a, a manufacturer that's only sourced in China. Or um, uh, you know a, a, a wholesaler distributor, and and actually we say hey if you don't feel comfortable, you know answering that's fine. Um, but I uh, love seeing what the commercial real estate guys think, particularly around the warehousing components. So um, we we have a pretty diverse group. We we manage that pretty carefully. Um, um, you know, I want it to, to not get out of sync actually. And so we have some sort of ways we, we, we manage that internally.
0: Yeah. So, but month to month though, uh, Dale, um, you know, the, the ones, uh, that you selected, let's say in, in uh, in June, are they the same in July or you have a difference? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so across time, uh, they're generally the same, um,
1: how, how do you there's about 10 percent difference uh okay. a month to month because you know truthfully these days uh people change jobs and 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 companies and 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 honestly there's a lot of guys i've known for a long time uh that are retiring so every month i get hey dale this has been interesting but i'm gonna go play golf and i'm gonna retire so i won't okay. know anymore so so we, we, we have some of that. So it's, it's 5 to 10%. Jesus. 5 to 10%. Okay. And um,
0: how do you take, take into account you know, any sort of size effect? Uh, are they all of the same sort of size in terms of... No, revenue? actually,
1: no. no. And, and, and actually, one of the things that's important, and if you go to the website that has the results of all of them, which is dot yeah. lmicom and, you know, this is a completely free thing. There's, we're not selling anything. This is a, a research uh, project, as I said, uh, you know, with, uh, with one old professor and then a bunch of young ones. <laughs> and, um, and, and, and so we also break it down by sort of upstream and downstream because we think that's very interesting. So there's um, another index that's similar to us and we're good friends of them that's also done here in Tempe, Arizona. Um, and that's the Purchasing Managers Index, which is yeah. a very old thing. And the two guys that started the Purchasing uh, Managers Index, Dr. Hoagland, and then his student, Dr. Fearon. Dr. Hoagland was was my professor back in 1981, mm-hmm. and um, and I knew him until he he passed away. And Dr. Fearon you know, really started the supply chain program here at ASU. He was a a student of Dr. Hoagland at Michigan State, where a lot of us come from in in supply chain, and uh, including me, and uh, came out here uh, to Tempe and is still around actually. I think he graduated in 1960 or 61. And and, you know, the purchasing managers index um, for the first 20 some years of of its existence was very controversial because some economists said, hey, you're double counting activity. You should only measure it at the GDP level. And and Dr. Hoagland in in particular was very strong about, gosh, you get advanced warning if you're seeing it when it's at the steel level, mm-hmm. as opposed to the washing machine going from Home Depot to the consumer. So so um, uh, the the PMI works exactly the same way as the LMI. The LMI, though, includes more downstream activity so the pmi tends to be only upstream yeah and um it was interesting because we we were, we were rattled a little bit during 2019 because their numbers in early 2020 their numbers were lower than ours and we usually always check to make sure that we're kind of in sync and like i said those guys are um, uh, paul lee the gentleman that runs the the pmi is a friend of ours Okay. And, um, and so we always check to see where, you know, where we are and, and we figured out, you know what, this is a downstream, upstream thing. So not only do we look at it by different types of, of companies, but we also look at it by sort of position yeah. in the supply chain. And if you go to the website, you can actually see a breakdown for 2020 and, and some of the other months, um, you know, sort of, you, you see it for the times. What you can kind of tell when we figured out, hey, wait a minute, the reason why we're different than the PMI is because we got downstream as well as upstream in there. So, right. so you can you can really see the differences between folks that are close to the consumer uh, versus folks that are are backaways in the supply chain. It's it's a really interesting thing. So, so we deliberately keep the the respondent base diverse, and 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 we like to. Look at what those differences are,
0: right? And you have you have been doing this for two years now, so
1: you have really four years. Four I think. years, four years, yeah.
0: So there's four years of data, and um, you mentioned that there was some interesting things to to see, maybe twelve months ago, uh, eighteen months ago. So so so, what, what were your observations before this whole COVID thing hit? And then since then, uh, I guess there is a gradation of uh, um, information in terms of how the market is internalizing the full effects of it. So, w- w- what did we see maybe twelve months before the COVID actually hit the economy?
1: Well, what we what we saw is anything related to the consumer was great, but that the upstream activity uh, was cooling. So, so what that said to us. If things would have stayed the same, we were we were headed into. I don't I don't want to say the recession word. I don't want to say the R word. But yeah. but but we were. You you could see the growth leveling off upstream, mm-hmm. um, which all the economic models that are based just on GDP weren't seeing at all because the consumer was so hot so the consumer was really hot but a, but about a year and a half ago we really started seeing and and you can see it you can get onto the the website and see the numbers and play with them and we're we always welcome um uh comments and sometimes arguments you know we're we're, we're good <laughs> with that we actually um we actually take into consideration what um, uh what what people who are really we get some dumb comments truthfully but but most of them you know, many things are very uh, thoughtful and many companies are using this to help them plan a little bit because it's surprising how accurate we, we asked for both this month and then 12 months from now. What do you expect? And, and it's interesting how accurate uh, it's been up until the COVID time where that's been so disruptive. None of the predictions, you know, included that. Uh, interestingly, though, while we've been in COVID, there really is a strong belief—you um, know—there's an optimistic belief uh, by logistics managers that that things are going to be better in the year, which is which is interesting, and I, I and I hope they're right about that. So so it's 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 been a very interesting um, it's it's been a very interesting uh, journey, and we just started it because I was thinking about the PMI and about how logistics components specifically are good indicators of the future. And the PMI does a great job, but they don't include all the stuff that we do. Yeah. And, and, and so, um, uh, we thought, well, we should do something that focuses on, um, on the, on logistics. And, and um, you know, you could really just to sort of go back and tell another story about this in 2007, uh, mm-hmm. Summer of two thousand seven, so the the recession really started to bite in September of two thousand eight. If you you remember that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, in the summer of two thousand seven, I was over at a big three PL, one of the one of the really big ones, mm-hmm. um, and and they had had a bunch of orders canceled, and uh, and it was it was upstream kind of carriage. So it wasn't consumer stuff, it was it was upstream stuff. And uh, I was thinking about that and I was talking to the, the boss of this large 3PL. And he goes, you know, we're concerned that we're starting to see manufacturing orders starting to slow. Well, that was in the summer of 2007. And I thought, I wonder If things are getting cooler and, you know, all of my recent former students at the time, I I was living in Reno and they were flipping their houses and, and, (laughs) you know, playing this real estate game. And, and I thought, isn't that interesting? And, um, and I I believe that logistics has been a leading indicator for a long time. Yeah. I've been a, a professor of logistics for more than 30 years now. And so I was thinking, man, it, there's something up here. Of course, I had no idea how big the shock was going to be, right. but particularly in in western states like Nevada and Arizona and California, it was tremendous. And that shock really reverberated reverberated around uh, reverberated around the, the 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 world, and and you could see the the beginnings of it in, I think it was July of 2007. So 13 years ago. So I I thought, well, this is interesting. And and, um, I've been talking about it for a few years. And then four years ago, uh, talking to these young guys and uh, my son, uh, Zach, who was a PhD student here at Arizona State was just getting ready to to move to Colorado state. And I said, you know, that thing we've been talking about, he goes, dad, let's do that. And so we got the other guys and and some of them are econometrics, econometricians. And uh, and and so we've been doing it ever since. And, it, and it's really interesting because it seems like it's been uh, very predictive with logistics. You can actually see things, you know, it's kind of like when um, when you throw the the stone in the lake. It's kind of like seeing the 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 first. It's like seeing the stone go in the lake, rather than just seeing the ripples that emanate from where the stone hits the lake. And yeah. and all of the consumer measurements kind of see the 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 ripples way at the end of it, as opposed to you know when the stone hits the water.
0: Yeah. So the it's very interesting, Dale. So the recent observations uh, again, if you kind of rewind time, twelve months before COVID hit. Covid hit. Uh, you actually saw sort of the upstream metrics uh, beginning to soften, and it would have indicated in a normal time it would have indicated uh, maybe a slowing down of the economy, maybe not quite recession, but but definitely a slowing down of the economy. Uh, and then post Covid, um, are you seeing uh, sort of things coming back up in the in the upstream metrics?
1: Yeah. Yes. Well, it, it, you know, truthfully, it's a yes, but yeah. so, um, so yes, but only certain uh, industries and, and types of products. So, you know, if, if you look at, at grocery stores, for example, or that whole grocery retail supply chain yeah. for most of the, certainly the core products in that supply chain, this has been a great time except for the cost increase because of of having to be more careful because of the virus so so costs have increased in that supply chain but truthfully when costs increase a lot of times that's good for the people that are are you know absorbing and and you know using some of that cost to add services or or Different attributes to the supply chain. So, yeah. so um, and and now in other supply chains, apparel, um, you know, shoes, um, uh, certain kinds of electronics, it's been disastrous. There's a whole chunk of the economy that that uh, just has almost disappeared uh, rather quickly. I mean, look at all of the retail. bankruptcies you've seen, it's not the grocery retailers that are going bankrupt. It's the department stores and um, the fashion stores. I mean, uh, you know, a terrible business to be in right now would be women's apparel. Mm -hmm. So, so it, it, it depends. And we, we look at that pretty carefully um, uh, you know, by which, which industry is doing what. And I, I mean, it's really logical. It's something that that I'm sure your listeners could figure out. Some industries are doing extremely well and have had to add capacity and, uh, and, and some are not. So, right. um, you know, it's surprising that the furniture industry, uh, a lot of pieces of it are, are doing uh, great. Um, you know, the Home Depots and Lowe's of the world, some of that stuff is doing really well um but you you don't want to be selling apparel right now
0: yeah but the overall metric um seems to show some uptrend right
1: absolutely so from from may to june uh we saw a seven uh point difference now some of that is a negative thing yeah. so so you got to think about this a little bit so to, to some extent, a lot of the US logistics system is sort of um, constipated. So, right. so there's a lot of inventory that it's come in that doesn't have anywhere to go. And so you've seen inventories grow go up and warehousing capacity decline because the warehouses are full. Yeah. And the warehouse decline has increased or, or decreased, I guess you would say, uh, quite a bit from May to June. So um, uh, warehouse utilization is is real high. Uh, warehousing prices haven't really gone up in the last couple of months. And that tends to be lagging a little bit, but you'd expect uh, some of that to, to, to happen. I'm the, on the board of... A, of a sort of Airbnb for warehousing, a company called Flex, F-L-E-X-E, they're based in Seattle. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you know, Flex getting is getting calls from all sorts of folks who you wouldn't normally consider because they need temporary warehousing because they wanna um, uh, expand, they wanna be closer to the consumer and and they've got some products that are moving really quickly. And then maybe they have some stuff that's slow moving that they're gonna move somewhere temporarily because they don't want to throw it away. You know, if you yeah. look at the secondary uh, market, which is um, fueled by returns and, and so on. And, you know, 20 some years ago, I wrote a book about reverse logistics and been studying it for for more than 25 years, I guess. Um, uh, you know, the, the secondary market, that's jammed full of certain kinds of, of things, you know, apparel mm-hmm. and shoes are not going to uh, uh, get to move very quickly. You know, we have a really um, well developed factory outlet mall system. You know, we've got the value retailers like Ross's and and TJ Maxx and Marshalls and all you know, Home Goods and all those guys. And and those those guys are stock full of inventory. And so it's been a really interesting thing to to sort of look at okay, who's doing well and who's doing not. And, and you know I think you could look into the future and kind of guess that if this thing lasts much longer, there's gonna be a, a fair number of, um, um, of, of retailers, uh, maybe not just do chapter 11, but maybe even chapter seven. And, and what we're seeing as trends that were already taking place hmm. in the economy over a long period of time those trends have been um accelerated. So like for instance, we're losing about ten thousand retail stores a year. You know, it's gonna be at least thirty thousand this year and it might be fifty thousand. Mm-hmm. So so uh, you know, number of malls, uh three years ago we had eleven, twelve hundred 1200 enclosed shopping malls in the US, you know. Yeah. Um we we've we really increased the 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 number that are closing so it's a it's a very interesting time so the the virus um i I, you know honestly i think in the end of this it's it's going to make whatever recession that we're in i think it's likely to make it shorter because we what we had is we kind of had this long-term slide and then all of a sudden bang (laughs) the slide got accelerated uh but but if you remember the global recession the recession cycled through the uh US economy which was the cause of it really yeah, yeah. much quicker than say it did in Brazil for example i'm a, i'm a part of a research institute down in Brazil yeah and um and you know uh we got a cold in the US but they got pneumonia down there mm-hmm. and truthfully they never really have emerged uh from from that, uh, you know, a couple of years, but really, they've kind of been in recession since the since the recession, since the global recession, which really we caused. But it cycled through quickly. I think the the virus is likely to um, uh, to to cycle it through. We're really sick right now, but mm-hmm. it's it's it seems like it's getting better quickly.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. So your hypothesis is that having looked at this data for, for many years, uh, Dale, correct me if I'm wrong, um, we were on a track uh, into uh, slow growth, perhaps recession. The shock seems to have accelerated it with a net effect of maybe the economy getting out of that slow growth phase a lot faster. Uh it's you know it, the the stock market seems to have done exceptionally well. It is sort of inexplicable in many ways. You know, I don't think it yeah. is
1: inexplicable. Okay. In so let me yeah. let me tell you what what an old professor thinks, and yeah. and 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 there there may be folks out here that would disagree with me, but but really um, there's there's not much risk in the stock market if you think about it. How yeah. come? Why is that? Well. The investors know that the Fed, Federal Reserve, yeah. is not going to let this get out of hand. I mean, isn't it amazing what the Fed has done compared to what happened in the two thousand eight two thousand nine recession? Right. There's it's bare. It's hardly a ripple, isn't it? Well, that's because the the Federal Reserve appears to have Inexhaustible resources, and they're going to use them. And the uh, and the investors know what's the real downside here. And and maybe these are great prices right now. Let's get on this because the Federal Reserve is going to backstop everything. You know, they, they learned from both the the bad recession, which you remember how uncertain that was in two thousand eight, yeah. two thousand nine. They they learned from that. Look, everything in the end is going to be fine and they can already see the not invisible hand, the very visible hand (laughs) of the Federal Reserve, and and the stock market's going to be fine. Right, right.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense.
1: So it's really a liquidity-driven
0: upswing. The question is, um, when the foot is off the accelerator, uh, what will happen, right? Uh, Is there sufficient uh, value added in the economy to support Uh, support it but that is well
1: so so this is important so i think this is important for your listeners and it's kind of what we've been talking about the whole time the economy is not the same as gdp yeah gdp is a very small percentage of the economic activity right right i mean it, it it's a it's a very small amount and if you look at the massive amount of the economy that's sort of invisible to most measurement mm-hmm. because it's upstream, it's in, that, it's in the supply chains, um, uh, you know, it, 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 it becomes um, real clear that this is a gigantic thing. Yeah. Also, if we would have been measuring the economy well the last 25, 30 years, we would have realized, hey, wait a minute. A bunch of stuff that used to be in the U.S. is being sent overseas. Mm-hmm. And we, we couldn't see that in GDP. You know, uh, having everything that's wall- at, wall- at a Walmart made in China seems like a good thing for the economy because it shows up, uh, you know, you can buy more. And so GDP tends to go up. But if you were really thinking about the true large economy you'd be thinking wait a minute we've moved a ton of our economy outside the US mm-hmm. into other places and, and 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 you know i if you think about it you, you kind of already knew this intuitively but we don't know the measurement on that do we right i mean we don't so Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, it used to be
0: GNP, right, at some point, and then we switched over to GDP.
1: Yeah, although that wasn't a good metric either. (laughs) (coughs) You know, you really need to be measuring every step, and you can say, well, wait a minute, aren't you double counting? Absolutely, you are. But all those businesses that only exist upstream, all of their revenue is coming from business to business revenue, and that's valid economic activity. It's okay if you count it more than once.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Um, Dale, I want to quickly jump into your your book um, entitled Supply Chain Financing, uh, Funding the Supply Chain and the Organization. Um, could you talk a little bit about supply chain financing and how, you know, sort of the finances of the organization is intricately connected with supply chain including the capital structure of the firm and its options to actually manage the firm.
1: Yes. Well, so um, the sort of the premise um, of of the book and the work we've been doing in this area is that the supply chain has been used for a very long time to sort of make source deliver. That's been the, the role of it. Yeah. But today, um it's really you're asking the supply chain to actually fund f u n d fund the organization mm-hmm. as well as to move product and information and all that stuff up and down and and it and an example of this would be apple so apple and i i haven't done the numbers since i was teaching class in uh, in the spring so it's probably February or March when I when I calculated this out. But I have the, the students in my grad, uh, my supply chain financing class, I have them calculate the um, cash conversion cycle and the different components of the cash conversion cycle, um, how quickly you're turning business operations into cash. I have them calculate that out. And I remember for Apple on days of inventory outstanding, which is one of the the components of cash conversion cycle, for for Apple this spring, they only had 10 days worth of inventory globally Hmm. inside the whole corporation. Well, you know that's not really the case. You know they have access to lots and lots of inventory because they have billions of dollars of sales every year. But what, what they had figured out how to do is to move as much of that inventory as possible onto their supply base, and then only um, take ownership of, ownership of it right at the last minute. Yeah. And so it's the idea that you're using your supply chain and you're using you know, your inventory and you're using your accounts payable and your accounts receivable to, to manage, which those are components of working capital to improve your working capital status. So you try to hold on to your money as long as possible. You try to keep investment and inventory as small as possible. And, and you try to accelerate payments into the firm. And, and supply chain financing is a lot about um, really looking at your working capital and what, and. Are there ways you can use your supply chain, particularly usually upstream, to uh, to help fund your corporation like Apple has? You know, Apple's been the most valuable company most of the last five or six years, and and one of the reasons is is that they they really understood um, uh, this supply chain financing idea for for a lot of uh, a lot of years. Yeah, uh, and there's this whole industry. Started with banks, but but now uh, has moved outside of banks into what we call fintechs, financial technology firms, right. who have grown around, grown up around the uh, way of of facilitating um, uh, different kinds of payment systems in order to make suppliers healthier. Because uh, most all of the large corporations, certainly American corporations, have slowed down their uh, accounts payable. So, you know, 10 years ago, it was not atypical to see 30-day uh, payment terms. Yeah. You know, we, we've taught for years at the university in a purchasing class, 210 that 30, you know, that that whole. So you get a, a discount if you if you pay in 10 days but you got to pay by 30 days well truthfully mostly that's gone out the window and and you know a lot of companies you can pretty much name any large corporation you can think of and they're probably at 120 day payables now so there's, there's been this whole as as firms have realized this idea let's use our supply chain better let's use our suppliers particularly let's leverage them and there's been this whole industry developed to to try to make those suppliers healthier um, at a minimal cost uh uh so that they can afford to keep buying raw materials and components and so on so in turn they can sell to the the the, the big guys who are not going to pay them as quickly
0: yeah it's um you know the supply chain optimization used to be in the, in the realm of operations management, right? What the book is uh, really making, making it clear that it's really a, a combination of operations, corporate finance, and technology uh, that, you know, th- those skills uh, sometimes are quite different uh, in the organization, but you have to bring those skills together to really manage the, the whole system, Right. Right. And that, yeah,
1: go ahead. Sorry. No, that, that's ab- that's absolutely right, because, um, uh, you know, if you think about where most of the assets of a firm are, not every firm, yeah. but but if you think about where most of the assets for most firms are, it, it's in the supply chain. Right. It's all that inventory. It's the factories. It's all that stuff and and if you can manage those assets better and really what we've been doing over the last 25 years is we've been moving assets outside the firm and in many cases outside the firm to another firm that's in a different country like China you know that's what we've been doing <laughs> you know when when i was a kid and i'm an old guy but when i was a kid you know converse the shoe companies converse made their sneakers in malden massachusetts and in new hampshire Um, Adidas made theirs in Germany and France and stuff. And uh, Nike came in, in the early 70s with a disruptive model. They couldn't afford their own factories, otherwise they would have built them. Mm -hmm. Um, And they used factories in Japan uh, that belonged to other companies. Well, in in 1970, it made sense to uh, manufacture sneakers in, in, in Japan. But by 1985, it didn't make any sense at all because the because the costs were too high in Japan. So Nike just kept moving down the labor cost curve, and it gave them a huge advantage for a long time before the other sneaker companies started doing that. And 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 Converse, who I'm a big basketball fan, Converse, <laughs> who owned the basketball yeah. shoe business with a, with Adidas. Uh, Converse ended up going bankrupt and being bought for $300 million. Not a lot of money, really, uh, by Nike. Converse is now a division of, of Nike. Hmm. And, um, and obviously, there's no manufacturing in Massachusetts or New Hampshire <laughs> of, of Converse uh, right. Chuck Taylors anymore. Right,
0: right. Yeah, so in conclusion, Dale, uh, if you look forward five years, um, what, what, would, what are the kind of the net effects of the shock uh, that we're going through right now, uh, it's really difficult to predict how long this is going to last, but more strategically in the supply chain, global supply chain, what would be the net effects of the shock you think?
1: You know, that's a great question. That's a great question. So, um, so look at what's happened, just let's just take the last 10 years yeah. and how many disruptive events there have been. I I think it's more than normal number of disruptive events. Mm-hmm. So think about 2017 and all the hurricanes we had here right. and think about the tsunamis around the world and, and, you know, the other uh, diseases, the other pandemics that didn't really get to the U S there's been a ton of disruptions. And, you know, in, in 19, um, well maybe 2000 maybe 1995 the the sort of supply chain operation strategy was let's move manufacturing to china and then we'll bring it here and you know maybe manage it out of singapore or whatever hmm. and and today i think companies are thinking look from a risk management perspective we've got to have uh duplication in our supply chains we we we've, we've got to um be more resilient and so i don't think we can put all of our manufacturing in one location in asia in latin america and wherever we we need to be a little diversified and have redundancy Mm -hmm. and and so you lose economies of scale to some extent uh, but i think you're seeing a lot of companies certainly led by the tech industry Really looking at diversification and redundancy a little bit as you start to uh, build out um, uh, places. So, if there is a gigantic tsunami in Japan again, um, you know maybe you're you're safe because you're you're also in Mexico and and maybe Hungary or anyway you're 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 more diversified and it makes sense if you think about. You know, truthfully in supply chain the last few years, I've been borrowing a lot of stuff from finance. But, you know, to some extent, um, uh, uh, you know, the old idea of portfolio theory, that's still a a pretty good idea, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, um, You know, I think it was written in 1951, maybe, that portfolio theory by Markowitz, famous finance professor, and to some extent, we're still figuring that out in supply chain. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, uh, it's, that's very interesting. So, you know, sort of distributed, uh, more distributed manufacturing, uh, really more flexibility introduced into the supply chain that you can move things around a lot faster, a lot, lot more flexible fashion. Uh, you know, this this was all kind of intuitively uh, known uh, to, to corporate managers. Uh, but I think the problem is that when you put numbers into a spreadsheet, uh, you say, "Well, if I if I manufacture all all the stuff in a low-cost country, um, you know, I can shave off another penny from my cost structure." <laughs> uh, and so that temptation is always there. Right. Uh, and once you do that, when you when you hit a shock, uh, that's when you realize that you know the the value lost from that strategy could be substantially higher than all the pennies that uh, that the firm picked up, you know, in, in front of that, uh, that, that train, so to speak, uh, that was coming.
1: Right, that's absolutely right. I, I completely agree.
0: <laughs> so this has been great, Dale. Uh, thanks so much uh, for the time that you spend with me and, uh, and good luck with, uh, with LMI. And, and I think that is extremely useful all, for all managers.
1: Right and any of your uh, listeners are are interested in participating they can go to the-lmi.com and and um and you know it, there's nothing we don't charge for anything it's it's um it's just a research effort so uh, they're welcome to um uh welcome to download whatever they want
0: Excellent thanks so much
1: Yep nice talking yeah Good. bye bye, bye.